Thank you for joining Bevel Talk, Season 5, Episode 6. Today we're talking about Building Generations, a special series on two fathers and their two sons and how welding has impacted their lives. Let's get right into it. Welcome to Bevel Talk. Thanks for joining us today. We're with Dave and Bill England and Dale and Danny Mortensen today. This is a, a unique podcast. It's going to differ a little bit from what we've traditionally done. This year is Miller's 90th year. And one of the things that Miller is proud of is that we build generations, generations of employees within Miller, generations of employees within the welding industry. And so today, Bill and his father, Dave, are joined by myself and my father, Dale, to talk about exactly that, welding history and building generations in the welding industry. So Dave, Bill, and Mort, in that order, introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit about yourselves so we can get to know you. Well, fine. So I ended up getting top billing here, tossed out of the truck on the first uh, salvo. Uh, <laughs> once again, yeah, Dave England. Uh, let's see. I'll give you a little bio history. I grew up in the Detroit area, uh, went on to Central Michigan University to pursue a degree in industrial education. It was there where I was introduced to uh, the fundamentals of welding and fabrication. Uh, came out of the year out of there, and then I student taught in a vocational welding program. After that, I taught in a CETA welding program. And my first job uh, offer that I received was at Lakeview uh, Community Schools, Lakeview High School in the little town of Lakeview, uh, Michigan, where um, I was hired as a vocational welding instructor. Uh, that was really my introduction to the welding side. There's, there's, I've got more I could tell about my personal side, but since we're just talking mainly about welding, I'll, I'll keep it at that. And I spent uh, 30 years in the classroom uh, teaching various ages of students from you know juniors and seniors in high school all the way up to gentlemen who were taking classes at the community college for retraining. Um, but uh, I truly enjoyed working with students. Uh, it, was a, it was really, it was a calling. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll cut her right there and, and hand off to the next person in line. Is that Billy? Yeah, Bill. Good morning, guys. Uh, so uh, like Dave mentioned, uh, my name is Bill England. It's kind of strange to call you Dave. It's, yeah. uh, it's all, always dad, so yeah. I'm almost 40 years old, but I might get grounded for that one. But uh, in any regard, I, I grew up in uh, Lakeview, and of course, you know, I grew up in a town where my parents were teachers and had a wonderful uh, childhood and was exposed to this career field from a young age. Uh, some of the the students that dad had that went through that are now employees of Miller Electric, guys like Dave Almy and uh, Eric Young, you know, they knew me from the time I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper, so to speak. And I I looked around as I was trying to form an opinion on what I wanted to do. I was a really good student, had a lot of uh, doors that were open if I chose to pursue those career paths and nothing really lit my fire uh, like welding. And uh, I knew that I didn't have a clear lens as to where that was going to take me. But if it involved people like my dad, Jerry Young, Eric Young, Dave Almy, that uh, it was going to be a good experience. And uh, it has been. I've gotten the chance to live on uh, different parts of the country. I've worked uh, in a factory as an engineer. I've worked uh, as a distributor salesperson for a large independent in West Michigan. That's where I got to know the folks at Hobart. Was given an opportunity to uh, to teach at Ferris. I was a tenured faculty member, taught five academic years there, 
and then went to work for ITW in the spring of 2013. Uh, and I don't regret it at all. I, I look back fondly on the decision uh, and the good influences that I, that I had from people like my dad and others that, uh, that you know, in, in the industry. It came out of that little town of, like you said, 1,200 people. Mort, what about you? What's your story? Well, most people know me as Mort. All my graduates and the people I work with uh, don't even know my name is Dale. And so <laughs> uh, I seldom answer. Even my kids, when they want attention, they call me Mort. <laughs> so I give them that answer. My uh, first exposure to welding was when I was nine years old. My father was a pipe fitter, and uh, he took me on some jobs with him, taught me how to fit pipe, and then he showed me how to oxy-fuel weld pipe for steam lines and gas lines. And that was my first interest in it. My first uh, exposure to shielded metal arc welding was at uh, junior college in uh, Rexburg, Idaho, called Ricks College. It is now uh, Brigham Young University, Idaho. But I took my first welding classes there. After getting married, I moved to Washington State and graduated in the industrial education program. They called it industrial education and industrial science and teacher education. And uh, I planned on being a cabinet maker and uh, construction. Uh, so I had a construction company in Seattle uh, in the late 70s. And when the recession hit that area, there was work needed to be, I needed to find new work. And welding was one that I knew I could make some money at. And that's what I chose to do. And uh, in the meantime, between then, I actually taught junior high school and middle school in uh, Murray, Utah. And after getting into the welding programs, into the welding industry in Seattle, I became associated with the Washington Association of Building Officials. And I became an inspector for that and an aluminum inspector for Weibo. And I got real involved with metallurgy and inspection and welds. But most of my work was fabrication of equipment and buildings, and it fit right in line. Uh, I took a few years hiatus. I taught at a private school and taught welding there. And then I went to Alaska and was involved in building a power plant with a company there. And then... Uh, Rick's College says hiring a, a welding teacher, and I was hired there in 1984. I retired there after 30 years, and uh, I now teach at a private industry, a fabrication shop in uh, southern Idaho. Uh, they build ready-to-eat food processing equipment, and I'm involved in training their welders and helping the quality control folks learn the, the industry of inspection. Outdated equipment threatens productivity, profitability, and safety. Learn how Miller XMT350 Field Pro Systems with ArcReach can improve your job site at MillerWelds.com slash ArcReach. For most of the listeners, I haven't really shared my experience in, in coming to know welding and be part of welding, but mine was similar to Bill's. Um, I spent a lot of time with my dad associating with the students that he was teaching and the people that he was teaching and 
you know, grew up in a small town of about 1200 people as well in Southern Idaho. Um, got to meet fantastic gentlemen, employees of Miller Electric and ITW like Kirk Webb and Kevin Summers. And was always going on job sites, was welding weekends um, during summers with my dad and kind of fell in love with it, but I didn't admit it to myself until I was much older. Um, you know, welding, I think it gets in your blood. It's, it's something, being able to do something with your hands and to create something, to make something is just amazing that you can take a pile of material and turn it into a building or turn it into a boiler and the ability to do that well and safely has just always intrigued me. So, gentlemen, as we move forward, what are some of the most challenging things about your careers? I know you've had lots of experience in welding, in education, um, in training young men and young women to move into industry and to be part of industry. But what are some of the most challenging things that you've dealt with? One of the most challenging things for me is keeping up with technology, being able to find the time to get the knowledge to keep up with the equipment that the companies are building and how to implement that equipment and to find the finances to make sure that my guys get that training. I'm interested in the end product with my students is I don't want them to just get a job. I want them to survive and to thrive on the job. So I want can-do welders and in order to do that, I need people that I need them to have the knowledge of new technology. And on, a, on the same on the same note as Mort, it, for me, it was a uh, not so much a technology, although that was an issue. Uh, mine was a, a, a mindset uh, within the, the K-12 system, uh, not just in Lakeview, but ar- around the state of Michigan. And uh, because th- what the, what happens there is most of the people at the front end of the building are principals and counselors or academics, and they don't quite grasp uh, what happens at the other end of the building in our welding classes and our other industrial classes. And needless to say, because of one, because of money, um, welding classes are expensive to run, as Mort said, with the technology, the material that we use to to practice on and so forth. Uh, are very expensive in comparison to other academic classes. So for 30 years, I was constantly butting my head with our, our counseling department to understand, uh, one, the money that we input is is well 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 returned to our community uh, through with the skills that our uh, students learn. Um, but then they would we part of the discussion would also go on to say, well, um, um, different colleges are requiring uh, an increase in, in, say, math or an increase in science. The kids need more of this, that, and the other. And the state fell in line with that kind of thinking. And uh, uh, from from there on, yeah, my, my head-butting sessions in, in some of our meetings uh, with counselors and administrators, I would ask them questions like, okay, out of the kids that are graduating out of our, our high school, how many, because we kept the statistics, how many are going on to college? And usually the, the, that number was quite high. That might be 40, 50, 60% of kids have at least applied to college. And then I, the second question is, okay, how many are actually finishing their programs, getting a, a two or four year degree? And generally that data fell in around 18% year after year, pretty, pretty steadily. So I'll, then my backup question was, well, then how come we've geared up our, our entire high school curriculum strongly in academics, lacking in hands-on sort of programs like vocational welding, 
when we know only 18% of our kids graduate from uh, a college with an academic career. And the only reason that they, they could, you know, kind of hang their heads on that was say, well, well, that's what the colleges are wanting. And I'm saying, well, that's not what the workplace is needing. The workplace needs more technicians, more hands-on people like welders, as well as, as other uh, technical careers. So uh, I agree with Mort. It, it's a thing of staying up with technology in the welding classroom, as well as changing the mindset of, of those in charge of and the leaders of our K-12 programs. There are some that are out there that are very pro-vocational, but they're, they're, they're the rarity and not the norm. So it continues. I don't know how, how things are in, in Utah and other states, but I know in Michigan, we're starting now to slowly make the swing back to, to, to instituting vocational programs. Um, but it's, it comes down to money. It really does come down to money. Um, and uh, that's where I want to say if, if the welding industry can, can get more involved in lobbying uh, um, our, our politicians to, to poke more money into those programs, I think that that's a constant battle. Bill, do you have anything to add? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to go back to, you know, uh, a little story that I'll tell sometimes when I was looking at going into this career. And that was, you know, having a you know, pretty solid GPA, being an academically strong student myself. When I was telling people in my senior year that you know, I'm going to go to Ferris State, I'm going to pursue a, a, a associates and bachelors in welding technology and welding engineering technology, it, people would scoff. Like, you're, you're a smart kid. What? <laughs> What are you doing? Why, why are you Why are you going into that field? And you know, but it's a double edged sword. And I, I, to a certain degree, I understand why they thought that. <clears throat> and I've kind of held it as an important point that we, as welding professionals, need to make sure that we project the best image we can to the general public and show that you know, yeah, we can get dirty in this job, but that doesn't mean that we're always getting dirty. There's a day that we'll show up in steel toe boots and uh, welding jacket. And, you know, Danny, you've been right there with me. We walk out, you know, covered in head to toe and we're, and we're filthy. And there's other days we're wearing a suit and tie and we're in a boardroom. And I think uh, as Ken Cook would often say as a longtime professor at Ferris State, the most valuable employee a company can have is a journeyman with a PhD. Amen. And I'm no, I'm neither a journeyman nor a PhD, but I've, I've tried to try to fill as much of that spectrum as I can and in realizing that that individual that pursues a career, whether it's with welding or in you know, as a mechanical engineer or electrical engineer, any of these these engineering trades that have a basis in some sort of a journeyman trade, the people that follow and respect the trades, but also apply the engineering discipline and have good business acumen, those are very valuable employees and there's excellent careers ahead of them. I'd like to add a couple of things out, if you don't mind. Uh, from a historical thing that's happened in the in the eighties, middle eighties and late eighties, the United States was fallen behind academically as far as reading and math skills and science and stuff like that, and so academia put a big push on that and tried to make sure that everything, every high school kid had a certain degree of academic experiences. And they cut out a lot of vocational programs, the welding, automotive, uh, the carpentry. And they found out that there's a lot more, there was a higher dropout rate of the students. And they just barely were coming around to it. And then when the, the computers started to become part of a vocational program for 
for English classes or literature classes, then the vocational dollars went a lot to new WordPerfect programs or new computer programs or things like that. And so it cut into the budget that used to go to the the hard um, the hard degrees, the hard careers. And uh, industry is starting to help with that a lot by making certain that students, that schools have finances and help and that they have a voice in government and what's going on. Well, I was just going to say more. You're, you're spot on with that. That's exactly what happened with uh, uh, the, the dollars. The dollars got shifted from uh, the industrial end of the, of the high school into uh, what most schools call their technology or their computer, their digital world. And that's exactly where it went. And the academic world understands, I think, a little better now that even because you were mentioning earlier about keeping up with technology, that the technology that we put into our buildings and our classrooms, it lasts a very short time before you have to roll it over. And I think they're getting a better grasp of that. Uh, Academia was used to, well, you bought a set of books and they lasted 10 to 15 years. And, you know, you put a good teacher in the classroom with a chalkboard or a whiteboard and that's all you had really had to do. So it's been a, a, a learning curve for the academic world and the, the administrators in buildings and for school districts to realize um, if, if you're go- if you're going to want to stay top notch, whether it be in the digital world or the in- industrial application world, it takes it takes dollars. And uh, un- until we get that straightened out with our politicians and, and leaders, um, we're still going to be struggling with that. Now, industry can definitely help out with that. Um, I'll give an, an example where I had to help with my program, and that was um, there were there were times that Fair State University stepped up to the bat and helped me with supplies because they were being abundantly supplied by uh, some of the, the the suppliers like Miller and Hobart and Lincoln and so forth, and so they shared supplies with us because they they wanted to keep our programs online, and um, their they, their hearts were broken when they got the word that they were shutting down our program. In fact, they they took me to the side and asked me at that time, "Is there anything that we can do to you know come down and talk with your board?" And I said, "No, it's 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 a done deal. It's it's already been rubbed out." So anyways, Mart, I know it's kind of a long-winded response, but I want to support your answer right to the max. So that's exactly what happened. You gave a good historical approach on what happened in the 80s and how things shifted. And now we're, we're needing to kind of shift back because our dropout rate increased because that, those were the kids, those were the students that Mort, you and I worked with that when we had welding programs down at our end of the building, they would come down there. And those are the ones that found out that was their sweet spot. And those are the ones that went on from our programs and went on into the world and made a good living with what we taught them, what to use, how to use their brain, their eyes, and their hands for. Um, those are the kids that that we lose when we don't have strong uh, vocational programs. Well, they're also the kids that that learn that they can do geometry and trigonometry and yes. math. Yes, yes. By touching it, feeling it, and, exactly. and all of a sudden you get the, the point to say, do you realize that you just did geometry right there, which, yes. which you're struggling with three doors down? You just did that. that yes. Oh, and, and it gives them that that sense of accomplishment yes. and that sense of being able to do something. And, hey, I am smart. I do have a place in, in something I can be oh, valuable. That link of academics to the hands-on, what you just mentioned, is, is spot on. Those are the kids. That, that was me in high school. I go, oh, oh. Okay, so now I understand a little bit more about the application of geometry or algebra. Oh, cool. Okay, now I get it. And or if we got into the physics and the 
in the chemistry uh, of what's going on in, in the electronics of how the transformer works or whatever. Yes, exactly. Well, and, and industry, you know, you made a good point. Industry's starting to try to help with that. But I think we're noticing it in a lack of skilled trades, not not just in the welding industry, but in plumbing and electrical, in in construction, all over Spot and all on. abroad. Spot it's, on. And just just like you know the these industries, they're they're begging for people, they're paying, they're giving training, they're trying to keep up with and make up for. We live in a global economy, and we're not just competing state to state and neighbor to neighbor anymore. We're competing globally for, you know industry for for being able to win bids on projects that are are mega million dollar and billion dollar projects throughout our country and throughout the world and we don't have the labor force to keep up with it and industry is trying to shift technology is trying to shift to compensate for it but i think you're right at the heart education needs to step up and change a little bit to be able to adapt for that and to help people that are struggling with with math or science, not drop out because they have a place where they feel comfortable and they can do something. We like to use their hands to get their attention. Once we got their attention and they're building something, then they open their mind up to learn more. Hey, why does this metal shrink that way? Why does it warp that way? Why does this break here or there? And now you get them so they start understanding and pretty soon you get them to where they're doing finite analysis and they're understanding what the material alloys do the different alloys do to the materials <clears throat> and they enjoy knowing not just welding i i, I one of the challenges that uh, a former student of mine brought to my attention uh you guys know him kevin summers with miller he said what we need in our industry mort are people that know how to walk the carpet and the concrete People that can put their tie on backwards and make a weld, show somebody how to do it, and somebody that can go in and show the administrations or their CEOs or whatever what needs to be done and can communicate what the problems are and what the solutions might be. Now, in Kevin's case, that's a bow tie, and he's about the only person I've ever seen that's able to pull that look off. So, uh, Kevin, if you're listening, it's it's compliment for you. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, let me, if I could make uh, one quick point to Danny's uh, message there about, you know, being a, on a global stage here, competing with everybody. The, w- one of the points that I've, I've brought up, whether it was an automotive industry or whether it was uh, talking to people in oil and gas, is that we're no longer, in many cases, losing work because we're more expensive. We're losing work because we don't have the skill sets. And, and, and a lot of times folks would like to argue that point, but you know, I can give examples of where, you know, we're having to bring in, say, you know, modular fabrication to build facilities here in the Midwest, simply because we don't have the facilities to build them in the Midwest, or anywhere for that, for that matter. And the ones that do, say, in the Gulf Coast, they have, they have more work than they can handle. So, you know, I, I think, and I appreciate the work that folks uh, like Morton, my dad here have done in high schools to speak to those kids that needed an outlet, one of the, the, the kids that learn in different ways, giving them that self-confidence that, yeah, you are smart. You learn, you apply in a different way, but you're every bit as smart as these other kids. Yes. And then also to the academic kids that, you know, I was one of those, that you can really light your fire and go, gosh, this is a lot of fun. I can take this trig and I can take this chemistry and I can go do something really cool with it. So 
uh, there's a place for everyone uh, in, in this field. So from people that uh, weld every day to folks that might be uh, formulating new filler metals or coming up with uh, new types of steel, uh, there, there's a place for everyone and not all of those, those kids for the most part, don't get that message today. Absolutely. Dave Morton, Bill, thanks for joining us today. Look forward to talking with you more on our next episode. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Thank you.